Okay, great. Let's read. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy who... There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples... Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, His disciples went down to the lake, got into a boat, and started across the lake to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The lake became rough, because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the lake and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Please keep your Bibles open. Um, Can I send the kids off, those who are going to Sunday school, if you follow Hannah, I believe, who is at the back. So, yeah, if you follow her through. Great. Afternoon. We'll start now by, by praying. Um, we'll ask, ask the Lord for his help before we, before we begin. Heavenly Father, we, we praise you. We thank you for your word. We praise you, Father, that uh, we, we have a, a reason to, to come and to gather on, on a warm Sunday afternoon. And uh, a reason, Father, that, um, that unites us. A reason that unites people who have never met to, um, to a, a peculiar Welshman who joins in their midst. And Father God, we, we praise you that that reason is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we praise you for the Lord Jesus. And, and pray now, Father, that you would help each, each one of us to, to have ears to, to listen and eyes to see by your, by your Spirit. Uh, Holy Spirit, be with us in our midst. Uh, and be with me, Father, to, to proclaim uh, boldly and to, to help to point each one of us to, to the Lord Jesus Christ and to, to see who he is. So we pray these things for your glory. Amen. 
Excellent. So um, I've, cho- I've chosen here to have the whole of John 6 read to us. Um, and the reason for that is because this happens, this, this section that we're going to look at, Jesus walking on water, happens on the same day or the same evening as, as the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 or possibly 20,000 if, if you want to go by um, the estimates of some commentators where they, where they would say that that's only the count of the men who was there, 5,000 men. But possibly it was much, much more than that. So the disciples on, on this day, they've seen that happen. They, they, they've had Philip say, you know, what, what should we do? Should we, go, should we go to co-op? Should we go and buy a loaf? And Jesus goes, you know, we don't need to do that. You've got, you've got me with you. Later on in John, you'll see Jesus say that, I am the bread of life. And he, and he expounds that. And Jesus here to, to his disciples is saying no. And then they, they find him some loaves and some fish. And Jesus miraculously feeds the crowd. And his disciples go about probably questioning themselves as they, as they go and take what they saw was five loaves and two fish as they go and take it around the crowd. And everyone in the crowd eats and is satisfied. They're full. They've had their fill. Not only have they had their fill from this, what was five loaves and two fish, but afterwards, when Jesus tells the disciples to go out and to collect, to collect whatever's left up, there are 12 basketfuls left. And, and you see here in, in verse 14, look with me, at verse 14, you see the crowd's reaction to that. The crowd, the crowd see, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. This crowd who were gathered, who had been fed by Jesus, who we, we see in verse 4, had come to this location. They're all coming together because it's the Passover. They're being united by this one thing. And they're thinking, this is the prophet. This is the promised one. This is the one who Moses, Moses told us about. They're there celebrating the Passover. And they're thinking, is this the time that we make Israel great again? Is this the time where we, where we take the Romans and, and this, this man who has multiplied the bread and the loaves, we can use him for our own political enterprise, for our are taking over the Romans. They see Jesus and they see him as prophet. Let's go and take him. And we see in verse 15 then, if you look one further, at verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him forth to make him king, the crowd see him as prophet and they want to make him king. In this land where the Romans currently rule, they want to take this man who has just done this miracle and they want to make him king. That's what the crowd see. Now I know that at the moment throughout the summer you're, you're going through a series in, in John, in the book of John, and looking at the, the I am statements in John. And one thing that John is really, really concerned about, he's concerned about for his original audience thousands of years ago, but he's concerned about for you and he's concerned about for me. He's concerned that you know who Jesus is. That's what John is concerned about. That's, why we're, that's one of the main reasons why we're doing this series over the summer. Because John, Rob, 
myself. We want you to know who the Lord Jesus is. The crowd here, we can see who they think he is. He's the prophet. He's the king. He's the one that we're going to use to make Israel great again. So let's do that. Now, we're not only, only going to do that. We're not only going to ask the question of who is Jesus, but we're going to do that amidst a storm, amidst suffering. We, we saw that the disciples there, they're, they're in a boat, they're on the lake, and it's not going well for them. They're, they're terrified. We'll look at that a little bit more later. But I want to ask you the question of, of what makes you terrified? What suffering are you under? Perhaps, perhaps for you, you're, you're like many of us who turns on the news and you, you see the, the rise in energy bills and you're scared for, for autumn. You're scared for winter. You're scared as this, this change comes into place and you're thinking, how's that going to affect me? Perhaps for you, you're, you're worried about that postman coming to your door and giving you a letter through the letterbox, and you know that it's a fine that you can't pay, or a bill that you can't pay, and you've got no means to pay it, and you're, 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 you're scared. Perhaps for, for you... One of the reasons that you, you suffer, perhaps, one of your storms may be when you get home from school and you run upstairs or you hear your child get home from school and you hear them just run up the stairs and slam their door. And you know exactly why. You don't even need to ask. You know that they've had another day of unrelenting bullying. Another day you've been persecuted. and Maybe that's your storm. Seeing your child. Maybe you are that child in your workplace. Or in your school where that is your suffering. There's, there's many things that, that can cause us, us to suffer. And, and God's word speaks to that. And I, I want to say three things about it today. The first, the first thing that we'll look at. This is 1617. Is, is I've called it all aboard. My first point being all aboard. So after the bizarre scene, whereby Christ is, is want, they, they want to take Christ and make him king by force, Jesus withdraws to a mountainside. And this account of Jesus walking on the water takes place in three of the four Gospels. It takes place as well in Mark 6 and in Matthew chapter 14. And John's account of the three is the briefest. Possibly because John's, John would have expected his readers to have read the other two. And in in the other two, Mark tells us that the reason that the disciples go down to the lake is because Christ told them to. So the reason they go down to the lake, and we know that eventually they get stuck in a storm, is because Christ told them to. I just want you to put a pin in that. We're going to hold that there, we're going to come back to it, but Christ told them to. So they're going down to the lake. They're going down to Capernaum. Why? Because Christ told them to. So let's say that they're they're walking down to the boat. The the sun now is beginning to set. You've got that bit of a glow in the sky. And the disciples presumably are talking about what's just happened. They're talking about how amazing it was what Jesus just did. Can you believe that? That little boy 
who had, what, five loaves? How big were the five loaves? Oh, I didn't see them myself. Andrew saw them. How big were they, Andrew? You know, they were, they were this big. What, and that was enough to feed those thousands of, yeah, thousands of people. Did you have a basket full left after? Yeah. Yeah, each of us, 12 basketfuls left. And they're probably talking about this as they go down to Capernaum. Possibly, though, possibly they're talking about why did Jesus, why did he withdraw? That was a, that was a perfect chance. That's, that's what we've been waiting for, surely. He's the prophet. He's the king. He's the one who's going to make Israel great again. Why did he withdraw? So strange. Perhaps there's two of them. As they're, they're walking down to the boat, Peter at the front, perhaps there's, there's a couple of them just thinking, what, why, why is Jesus not willing to do that? That's what we want. That's what we want Jesus to do. That's how we want to use Jesus. Perhaps that's what they're thinking. And at this point, perhaps Peter gets towards the boat first and he, he unties the knot. But I, d- I don't know about you, but how does that reveal the way that they're talking about Jesus, the way they're talking about this miracle that's just happened, how does that reveal who they think Jesus is? And when you're in your workplace, in your school place, in college, in uni, or at home, or talking to family, how does the way that you talk about Jesus reveal who you are? Reveal who you think Jesus is. When you're walking down towards the boat, who do, how do you talk about Jesus? Or if you're anything like me, how does your lack of talking about Jesus marry up with your answer? Yeah, I'm here proclaiming Jesus Christ is Lord. I can say that in front of you. Because I've got this. But when I'm in my workplace, when I was in school myself, when I was in college, my lack of talking about Jesus revealed a depth to that answer. And perhaps here, as the disciples are walking down towards the lake, we're not sure what they were saying, but what they were saying was revealing who they thought Jesus is. And I want to ask you, who do you think Jesus is? How does the way that you talk about him, or don't talk about him, how does that marry up with your answer? And the second, second part that I want to look at here, so we've had all aboard, and now we're looking at all are flawed. So with the disciples now in the boat, darkness, now the glow has gone, the disciples all get in, one by one, and they're, they're on the Lake of Tiberias, okay? The Lake of Tiberias is nothing like what we've got here today, a beautiful day in Beckentry. But fortunately... Unfortunately, sorry, Tiberius is known for having sudden storms. Okay? But fortunately for you, you're in the midst of a Welshman who knows a thing or two about some bad weather. Okay? If you've ever been camping in Wales, you know what it's like to forget your tent pegs and to have to run to the nearest shop to go and get, a, to go and get some pegs to try and sit on this thing because you're in the midst of a storm. And that's what these disciples are in right now. So with the storm beginning to grow, 
And perhaps, let's say James is on the, cap- the captain of the boat, calling on them to row, one, two, three, row, one, two, three, row. With each pull, it feels like they're making very little progress. They're, they're pulling, they're straining, but it doesn't feel like they're, they're getting anywhere. One, two, three, row. And Mark, in his account of this, this same scene, uses the phrase, the disciples are straining at the oars. He says that as they are traveling towards Capernaum, in the midst of this storm, the disciples are straining at the oars. And I wonder if you've ever felt like that. With, with water squelching at their feet, they're in this boat, darkness now around them, and feel like they're making very little progress. I wonder if, you've, if you ever feel like that in the midst of your suffering. Do you ever feel like with each strain you're getting weaker and weaker and you're putting in effort and effort, but you feel like you're in the same place? You feel like there's no, there's no, there's no let-off to this financial storm. There's no let-off to to the fact that on Wednesday you've got a call from your doctor and you know that it's going to be bad news. You've done all, all that he's asked you to do. You've, uh, you've heeded every bit of dietary advice that he's given you. You've gone out for a walk every day. But you know on Wednesday your straining at the oars will have made very little progress. So whilst they feel like this, they feel hopeless and exhausted... They look overboard. They're straining at the oars, pulling away. Water is crushing, crashing onto the boat. They're sodden themselves. And they see a glimmer of moonlight reflected over the rough seas. Only to have the boat rocked and hit. And they're reminded to put their heads down and just to row and to carry on. I don't want to get hit again by the sea. I don't want to get it in my mouth. I don't want to get it in my eyes. I don't want to get spat at by my friends in school again. I'm going to keep my head down and I'm just going to row. They saw Jesus then, verse 19, look with me. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. So they see A figure coming towards them. What you've got to remember about this scene is these are are men who are used to the sea. They are used to Tiberias. They are used to this sea. And they are frightened. They are hardened fishermen who are terrified of, of, of this. And then in the midst of that, they see a figure coming towards them. Matthew and Mark's account, John, I know that here, John, tells us straight away that it's Jesus. Matthew and Mark's account tells us that the, the disciples think it's a ghost, first of all. There's, there's, no, there's no part of them that is rubbing their eyes and going, oh, pinch me, I must be dreaming, I must have fallen asleep. They've just seen a miracle of multiplying the bread and the fish. They're not rubbing their eyes, they're not saying, pinch me. They know that what is happening in front of their eyes is true. And what does it say in verse 19? It says that they are terrified. Now, the Greek word here, the word that we have rendered in our ESV translation as terrified, could mean something along the lines of 
terrified out of your wits or frightened out of your wits. Okay? So it's not that sort of terrified that, that I get when I, my wife has told me, make sure you do the hoovering before I get home, and then I hear the car coming in, and I just get absolutely terrified. Or that sort of terrified that I felt on my way here, being a Welshman travelling into London and seeing those outfits. What are they in London? Some of the things that people wear are terrifying. That's not what is going on here. What is going on here is terrified out of their wits. Terrified out of their wits. Hardened men, fishermen who are used to, used to scary, rough seas. Terrified out of their wits. As they see this thing approaching them. This figure approaching them. And I, I want to ask you, what makes you terrified out of your wits? You know, possibly it is. It's that phone call that you know you're due this Wednesday from the doctor. Terrified out of your wits. Possibly it's, possibly it's winter. Possibly it's the, the energy prices. Possibly it's fuel prices and how, how the cost of living is soaring and soaring and soaring. And you're terrified out of your wits. Possibly, as you, as you pray at night, or in the morning, you think of your nan or your friend or your neighbour, and you are terrified, or you've embarrassed yourself in front of people, and you're terrified out of your wits because you know what is going to happen to your nan. Because she doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder what makes you terrified out of your wits. I I really do. But these men here are terrified out of their wits. And when you're terrified, when you're terrified like this, in the midst of that, who do you say that Jesus is? And then look with me at what Jesus says in the midst of this. Verse 20. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Frightened out of their wits, frightened out of their wits, all are flawed. All the disciples are flawed, terrified. Jesus enters amidst this storm, he says, it is I, do not be afraid. That's what Jesus says in the midst of your storm. Who do you say that Jesus is in the midst of your storm? Now, the last thing that I want to say is exactly that, that Christ is Lord. And Jesus is on the edge of their boat. He's, he's walked along the water amidst this storm crashing around him with the disciples absolutely sodden and Jesus seemingly untouched, unfazed by this. Why? Because earlier in John's Gospel, we're told that, that Jesus was the author of all things. That all things were created through him and for him. Jesus has power over this. Jesus is walking amidst this storm. And they take Jesus into the boat. With him. With them. Now, that phrase there in verse 20. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. It's a, it's a really nice sort of English translation of the, of the phrase. But actually... It, it loses some of the, the biblical weight of the, the passage there. Because 
I'll, I'll translate it in a, in a clunky fashion for you, but it would be something a, a, a little like, he said to them, I, I am, do not be afraid. In the midst of this storm, all are flawed, and Christ says, I, I am. Ego imi. I am. Back in Exodus, that name that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush, that covenant name, Yahweh. Here, Jesus is saying, I am. Jesus is saying that, but in Greek, I am. Jesus is saying, I am that steadfast covenant-keeping God who 2,000 years ago revealed himself to Moses... And for 2,000 years, you have known him to be faithful to your people. Faithful in sending Elijah. Faithful in sending David. Faithful in sending Elisha. Faithful in sending Solomon. Jesus is claiming to be, Jesus is claiming to be God. I am. I, I am. That is what Jesus says here amidst this storm. Now, I know that, that's a really easy thing to say, isn't it? I, I am. I've said it, what, ten times already. But Jesus is there. And what, what verifies this, what verifies that Jesus can say this and says it with truth, is that Jesus doesn't sink. He's walking amidst on top of the water. I don't know if, if any of you used to watch the, the show on um, Sky One called Brainiac, Science Abuse. I was a big fan, big fan of Brainiac. Um, there's a man on it, John Tickle. Richard Hammond presented it as well. John Tickle, though, he was sort of the brains behind the operation, if you can say that about him. Um, he was reading this, and he thought, brilliant. We've got an episode for our show. We'll get a man to walk on water. They tried, and they tried, and they tried. Can't get a man to walk on water. So what they did is they ordered industrial custard, and they ordered sacks full and sacks full and sacks full of industrial custard. And they had it. It's a brilliant, brilliant episode. And they had it mixing in cement mixers. About eight of them. Sacks of custard mixing in cement mixers. And they poured it into a swimming pool when it was done. And, and the thing with custard is, when you, when you drink it, it's lovely. And probably not industrial custard, to be fair. But when you, when you walk on it, when you run on it, it, become, it acts like a solid. Okay? So the very best that one of us could do in the midst of this storm is to have a sea that suddenly... Let's ignore the fact that the miracle would have to be that the sea turns into custard. And then I would be able to... I wouldn't be able to walk on the water. It would be Geraint runs on the water because if I walked on the water, on the custard, I would sink in the custard. So I'd have to be... Running next to the boat, I am, I am, I am, I am sprinting as fast as I possibly can to ensure that I don't sink in order to verify my miracle. Jesus doesn't have to do that. John Tickle did. I would have to do that because I am not Lord. When Jesus says, I, I am, that is verified by the fact that he is standing on, this, on, this, on the sea, unfazed by what is around him, Amidst this storm, amidst your storm, Jesus is unfazed by what is around you. Don't listen to John Tickle, who's standing on custard. Don't listen to Stephen Fry, who's standing on custard. Don't listen to Richard Dawkins, who's standing on custard. Listen to the Lord Jesus Christ, who amidst your storm, whatever it may be, 
health, financial storm. When he says, I, I am, he is saying it to you. And he says it on the edge of the boat. Now, will you invite him into your boat? Who do you say that Jesus is? We've seen what the crowd thought about Jesus after the miracle of the the bread and the fish. Here, John wants us to see what Jesus says about Jesus. I, I am. Jesus is the steadfast, covenant-keeping God. And that is verified by the fact that he is walking on water. Now, I want to read with you a a psalm. If you turn sort of halfway in, in your Bible, Psalm 107, and you'll see that this episode here, in Psalm 107, written hundreds of years before this episode, you'll see this episode. Psalm 107, verse 23. Some went out on the sea in ships. We've seen that here. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They moved up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. I hope that you can see the echoes of this scene in that psalm that was written hundreds of years before. Christ is Lord. That is what this is trying to say. That is what this is screaming towards us. So in this dark and hopeless scene, Christ the Lord enters their boat with them. Now, I want to look at applying this in in two, two ways. Very, very very quickly to end with and I want to to speak to two different types of people firstly I want to speak to those of you who who are looking in who like I I said about my own mother who was becoming a Christian perhaps or who wasn't quite a Christian who wasn't quite able to say that Christ is Lord and I want to ask you that question again who do you think that Christ is who do you say that, that Jesus Christ is Now, I've mentioned a few different types of storms, financial, family, your health. I've mentioned those. But I I want you to know, and I need you to know, that Jesus Christ comes not because of your financial storm. Not because of your want for a BMW. Nothing like that. Jesus Christ comes for a far greater reason than that. He comes because he sees you amidst a far greater storm than that health scare that you've got. Than the fact that your children won't speak to you. Jesus Christ comes to you for a far greater reason than that. And that reason is because of your sin. 
those things that, that we have done wrong, those things that, that we all know that we have done wrong. That is the reason why Jesus Christ comes. And Jesus Christ, amidst that storm, the storm of your sin, your greater storm, and know that, and hear me properly, it's your greater storm. Your sin is your greater storm. Jesus Christ comes amidst that. He sees you on your boat. He walks alongside you. And he says, I, I am. And what will you do? Who do you say that Christ is? As he stands on the side of your boat, who do you say that Christ is? And to the, to the believer tonight, to the one that has accepted Christ in your boat, I know that I've, I've mentioned some storms, and, and some of you, like me, you may feel them acutely. You may feel the, the fear of, of this coming winter. You may look to Ukraine, you may turn on the news, or you may not turn on the news for fear of what Putin might have done. Some of you back in the 80s, you, you knew what it was like to, to live under fear of nuclear war. And we're here again, thinking about nuclear war. Now to that, in Matthew and Mark's account of this miracle, I remember at the beginning I said to put a pin in it, didn't I? That Jesus, Jesus said to his disciples, go down to the lake. Don't go down to Capernaum. And in their obedience, they went down. In their obedience to Christ, they find themselves in the midst of this storm. Jesus Christ commands them onto the sea, knowing there would be a storm. And look at the storm. Look at how he uses that storm miraculously in their lives. Although by human limitations, all hope looked lost, straining at the oars, aren't they? Feeling weaker and weaker and weaker, all hope may look lost, but Christ is at work. And Jesus Christ is working all things together for your good. There's a wonderful verse in, in Romans, Romans 8, 28. It's hard to preach a sermon without going there. Where, where we are told that all things work together for the good of those who love him. I'm going to say that again. All things. We, we, we went through Romans with our youth recently. We're shaking them. All things. What things? All things. Not some things. Not the little things. Not only the big. All things work together for the good of those who love him. All things work together for the good of those who say that he is Lord. All things work together for the good of those who say that he, when he said I am, he truly was and is the Lord Jesus Christ. And with the psalmist, can you cry out in your trouble? Now that doesn't mean instantaneous relief. Vast majority of the time it won't. But it does mean but by crying out, you are reminding yourself of the fact that Christ is more powerful than your suffering. You are reminding yourself that Christ is able to walk in through your suffering. You are reminding yourself that Christ is working even in this suffering for your good. And you're reminding yourself that Jesus Christ is more powerful than any storm. 
because he has dealt with your greatest storm. Let's, let's pray as, as we close. Heavenly Father, we, we do praise you. We thank you for this, uh, this, your word. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for the fact that you are God. You are God and you are man. And you were able to come and deal with our sin. You were able to come and deal with our, our greatest storm. And Father God, help us now as, as we go. Help us as we, um, as we face the storms in our lives. Some of us who still perhaps are dealing with that greatest storm. Help us to know the comfort of the Lord Jesus Christ who is more powerful, who is greater than and who works all things together for the good of those who love him. So we pray these things for your glory. Amen.